Okay, so we are getting towards the end of our series about the silver chair. It belongs to the silver surfer. No, that's from um, Fantastic Marvel. Four. Marvel. Yes. Yeah. No, so what series is this part of? Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, right? Narnia. Anybody know what number it is? Six. 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 Two. No. I don't know. It's later. It's later. And then it's. No. Then it's. Uh, Horse and his boy. Then it's. Well, there are, there are, depending on your opinion, there are two right answers or there is only one answer. Huh? What? So, if you go by publication order, in the order that he wrote them and that they came out when they first came out, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is first, which makes the silver chair fit. If you go by now the chronological order, like in a timeline of what they happened, which now some of the new other publication companies switched it on C.S. Lewis after his death, then the magician's nephew is first and the silver chair is seven or well, six. I think we should do it like that because the Bible is written at different times, but we go on. The question is, is which book should you read first? The one that happens first in the timeline, because if you read a different one, then you're not going to understand. Because it will make more sense. Mm. I read the line. Have you read The Magician's Nephew? Have you read The I have all of them. <laughs> in a little. In a little. It's one of those arguments where there's people in two camps. People who say that you should read it in chronological order, and people who say you should read it in publication order. I'm in the publication order camp. But then if you read a book and don't know what's happening. But he wrote it. It's kind of like the Star Wars movies. Nobody saw episode one, two, and three for until they came out later. Everyone saw four, five, and six first, right? Yeah. You didn't need to see one, two, and three. Mm. Interesting, right? Just a little trivia so then you know. You can be a real Narnia nerd or whatever you want to call it. Um, so the silver chair then is who's our main characters? Um, Joe and Jill. Eustace and Jill, and then who do they have as their companion? Um. <laughs> And what is their goal in the book? What's their... To find, to follow the signs to find the prince. Okay, so they're looking for Prince Rillian. And tell me what happened to Prince Rillian. 
he got, he got kidnapped. Yeah. Because he was tempted to go to, like, keep going back to that lady. And then eventually he went back and she got kidnapped. Yes. Okay. So you said he got kidnapped. Um, was it against his will? No. He got persuaded. Okay. Um, what is the purpose of the silver chair in the book? Um, you're, you're close. Well, yes, so it's purpose in the book, right? In the, in the fantasy part of the allegory. Its purpose is to bind him. Why does he need to be bound if he willingly chose to go with the witch? Because he gets clear-headed. Okay, he gets clear-headed, right? It seems to every... He's not... He's, when he's in the chair, he's sober, but when he's not in the chair. Yes, okay, right. So it's true then that he is kidnapped, right? He's not always there of his own free will. Um, but he's also not totally captive. Let's go back to why, how did he get imprisoned? How did he get in the situation that he is? A snake. Okay, yes, that's what, why he's there in the story. Now, Narnia, anytime they are in Narnia, instead of our world, what does that represent? Spiritual world. Okay. If this is representative of the spiritual world, and this is partly in the story as well. How did he find, does he find himself underground and captive? More than being tempted by the witch, how does he get there? What's the step before that? What's he trying to do by going out every day and searching for the snake? Trying to avenge or, or to avenge. Okay, what does he think revenge is going to do for him? Make him feel better. Make him feel better, right? To fill a void, right? <clears throat> um. Prince Rillian. By doing that, he's trying to fill a void. <laughs> Some intense music for the upcoming part. Um, if he's trying to fill a void, and 
what's wrong with using doing that trying to do that with vengeance Is that going to fill the void? Let's, no. How about that? It's, no. We read a verse that says, like, God is an avenger. It's like not. Like, how take care of revenge. Right. It's not your job, right? You're not the judge and the jury, right? Okay. Now, let's take that another step further because is, is vengeance the only, or what, what is that void that he's trying to feel? What is he feeling that he thinks vengeance is going to take care of? Sadness. Okay, so he feels sadness. does he feel? It doesn't say it right in the book, but you yeah. can kind of guess, right? He like regrets he couldn't help his mom. Or... Okay. Oh, yeah, Maybe he, he feels inadequate. Yeah. How do you spell inadequate? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'm inadequate in my spelling. Um, what else might he feel? Guilty. Guilty, okay. That kind of ties in with inadequate. What else? Lonely, that's good. Because what because who else? might he have turned to? Because he ends up turning to the witch. We don't really know what happens when he meets her, right? The book doesn't tell you that. Probably purposefully to allow your imagination to figure it out. Who else does he still have in his life? They... Prince Caspian. Okay, King Prince Caspian. How do you think Caspian's feeling? Feeling bad. Maybe you like a lot of the same things, right? Okay. Um, doesn't tell us if he has brothers or sisters or any siblings. So. Who's that guy? Right. Um. Oh, yes. yeah, the loud, the little guy. Hold on. No. Um, oh, no. Trump. Trump. Not that guy. Okay, Trumpkin. Trumpkin might not be a good choice. Why? <laughs> because he's a legalist. Yeah, he's, he's not going to be very <laughs> empathetic, right? He well, would probably, probably he would probably pile on more guilt and inadequacy on him, right? Um, yes. Drinian, yes, that's his name. And Drinian is a good friend, right? Because he does, because Drinian is watching. He doesn't seek him out, but Drinian's watching and kind of um, offers 
his help, right? He goes out there. He's the only one who sees what's going on to even know like an idea that he might be in trouble when he does disappear. So all this to say, because we're trying to see, understand why he gets into this situation. Do you remember what the chair then represents? Addiction, right? The silver chair is addiction. And we talked about that um, because what first pops into your mind when you hear that somebody's addicted? <laughs> okay, that's a good one. That's mine. Yes, okay. What? All three of those things, what do they have? What do you get from them? Not that, I'm assuming you all, I know you all at least know sugar, right? What do you get? Right, instant and temporary fulfillment, right? Now, I don't know, you might not be, maybe you aren't aware of this yet, maybe you are, but have you ever had a bad day or felt bored or just wasn't feeling a lot of pep and you said, I, what I need right now, I just need some cookies. Or I just want to eat a bunch of potato chips right now. That'll fix. And even though you don't really say that'll fix my attitude like that, your mind at the very least subconsciously is saying, just eat some potato chips, it'll be all right. Just chill out, watch a show, and eat some potato chips. You'll be good. Right? Does that solve any of the problems? No. <laughs> Not that that's bad, because it is good to sometimes to rest, right? To take a break. Sometimes you are just running a mile a minute, and you probably do need to slow down. But it does not solve the real issue, right? And we talked about how there are other things because Rillian's problem, he's, his addiction isn't, it's probably more severe than sugar, right? That causes him to get into the situation that he's in. So what other types of addictions did we talk about? I know you weren't all here, but. did talk about anger. What's addicting about anger? Right, yeah, you get, you get a certain amount of satisfaction from it, right? Sometimes it just feels good to be angry. But what were, what's the problem with that? It's not good. Why? It's not enough just to say it it's not good. it hurts other people. Okay, and what does that in turn do? Not hurting other people. No, 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 what is it, what are your effects from oh. when you, you get... You don't want to be around you, and then you're rolling, and then you're angry again. Oh yeah, it might make it even worse, right? Okay. Yes, okay. Or like authoritarian, like, you know, like, yeah, 
you would want him to be a position of authority if you just need all the time. Mm. It makes it miserable. Right, right. But why, then why do you keep doing it? This is one of the keys to understanding uh, the problem with addiction and how to combat it, I guess. Why do you keep doing it then if you know that it's not good and that it's, that it's poisoning your life? Why keep doing it? It's easier than fixing and filling the void that you have, right? It's easier to just get instant gratification instantly or instant numbing, whatever it is, than to actually fill that void that's in your life. Now, how then does he get out of the silver chair? How does he escape that addiction? Because, right, he has to, if he's going to escape the addiction, he has to fill that void with the thing that actually is going to satisfy him. Yes. Yes. He, um, he defeats addiction. Calls out and asks for help in the name of Aslan. Now, what's the key thing that I just said in that? Help, help right? Now, <clears throat> I don't want to say that you always need help from somebody else, but it will definitely make it easier. And there are times where you do need help. That's why that this whole book is very important how no one person is the solution for their quest, right? Jill has her a specific task that she's given. What is that? To remember the signs. To remember the signs. Them day and night. Yes. Um, what is Eustace's job? He already did his job. Oh, to, yeah, to... Caspian, okay. That's one of his key jobs, right? Because only he already has, has this ability to spot Caspian, who could have helped them in their journey. But he didn't recognize him. He doesn't have a job. Because he already had his journey in Narnia. No, he still does have a part, right? He's supposed to be... Because Aslan called him, he called him and Jill on the journey. That's their mission. So he still has a role. There are uh, many times where he does things that Jill can't or her, it's not part of her skill set, right? Um, what is Puddleglum's job? Okay. Yes. To make sure. 
Yes. Right. He's he is a wise person, right? He is very, like you said, grounded, common sense. He has a lot of wisdom for them. That's what's not. That's is this his mission? No. No. Yes. Yes, because he has to keep them on the right track. But none of it because he can. He, could because he didn't. He didn't step in. There was times where he didn't step in and say, um, say you know, like we should do it like this because it wasn't his mission. Like he just went along with. What were you gonna say, Natalia? Because um, he just because he wasn't really sent on a mission. He just joined the mission. Okay, yes. So he, he wasn't called by Aslan to rescue Rillian, right? But how does it become his mission? Because they needed help getting to the Ruined City or something? Yeah, he was asked, right? Somebody, the owls, pointed them in the right direction to say, hey, go ask him for help. So to, to think of it like this... Um, I'll give you a couple examples. Think about Paul in the Bible. Does Paul have a mission? What did you learn about uh, a couple Sundays ago about Paul? His teaching affects him when he gets to heaven. Oh! Yes. How did he get, though, his mission? Oh. He was Jesus talked right to him, right? Yeah. Right there on the road. Yeah. Now, who, do you remember who, he, I don't, maybe we didn't, maybe Pastor didn't talk directly about this, but do you remember who Paul meets next after being blinded? You have to dig deep in your memory. Doesn't he meet somebody? Never mind. I Pretty sure his right name is story. Ananias. Doesn't he what? Or is he at a fountain? He stayed there. He stayed there for a little bit, and then the scales fell off his eyes. Yes. So, in, um, I think it's an angel. It's either an angel or God speaks to him in a vision, and says, "Hey, there's this guy, Saul." You need to go and help him, right? Was Ananias' mission to preach the gospel to all the world? I mean, it's indirectly every Christian's mission, but did he have the job to go plant a bunch of churches and speak to governors and kings and princes? No, but his job was to help, right? So he plays a part in that mission. So Puddleglum is different in the sense that his, his mission becomes looking for Prince Rillian, but that's not his main purpose for why he lives in Narnia. He, just, he lives in Narnia because he's there. The second example I'm going to give you as a closer to home is... Um, so, would you, 
would anybody doubt that Pastor Eric's mission is to be the pastor of East Shelby? And that he's really all the majority, if not all, of like the responsibility rests on him, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's his job is to be the leader, the pastor or pastoral shepherd of the East Shelby Church, right? Does he do it by himself? He tries to, right? But he has a lot of help, right? A lot of people that do different parts, different aspects. From people that clean the church, to people who paint buildings, to people who, I mean, people who pray, people who cook meals, people who he, who he talks to to ask what, like for advice and things like that. So that's how the kind of role that Puddleglam has. Okay. Um, that was a tangent we got on. So now we are at the point where they destroyed the chair, right, in Aslan's name. And then the, the witch comes back. What happened last week? Get it. I think you were the only one here, right? The witch comes back and she uses, uh, she makes a green fire. She makes the fire and she puts powder in it. And it makes everyone super tired. No, she makes them think what she wants them to think. Yeah. That the underworld is the real world, right? Yeah. So what is that representative of on the spiritual side? Let's think about who does the witch represent? Satan. Okay, Satan. What is Satan's goal? Temptation. To tempt you. Why does he want to tempt you? He doesn't want you to follow God. He wants you to follow him. Okay, right. So he wants to pull you down with him, right? Because that he knows that that's where he's going. So he, what did you say? Oh, he doesn't want you to be with God. He wants you to follow him. Okay, and we call that, if you are against God, it's a word for that. It starts with an R. Rebellion. Rebellion, yes. So he wants you to be in rebellion against God. And so that was really in state, right? He's in rebellion against Narnia. That's why he's there in the underworld with Satan. Now she's come back, the witch representing Satan, and she's there to try to trap them up, to trick them. And she tries by using lies and reason. Think of the Garden of Eden where Satan is telling Eve stuff. And is everything that Satan tells Eve wrong? Is it all a lie? 
No. Like it's kind of like, like, like twisted. Twisted truth. Yes, twisted like, truth. It opened their eyes when they ate the fruit, but not how he said it was going to open their yes. eyes. Yes, right. An even better way to describe it that C.S. Lewis uses is that it is a um, a fake version of the real thing. So Satan likes, he can't come up with anything on his own. He can't, just like we can't come up with anything new that God hasn't already thought of, right? You can't invent something that God never thought of. Like, you have that invention, that ability to come up with that because God has put it in you. So Satan, similarly, he can't come up with anything new. So he, it, everything that he has is a copy that's then distorted and twisted but yes right but the witch what she does right what does she say about because they're trying she says well what is this real world that you're telling me about this overworld what do they try to describe to her that's in narnia the sun the sun and she says what's the sun and they say it's well it's like yeah, it's like this lamp. And she said, oh, what a silly thing. You must have, in your dreams, because you knew what a lamp was, you dreamed of something, a lamp suspended in the sky, and you called it a sun. She's twisting it around, right? Because what is a lamp really representative of? Light. It's a, re it's a copy of the sun, right? You just want to have a sun in your house, so then it's light at night, right? Yeah. You would much rather, if you could have real daylight at night when you flip the switch on, that's what you would want. They do the same thing with the cat. She says, oh, you just imagined a house cat as this great big lion, like thing you call a lion. It's like, no, no, no. The, the lion, that's a real cat. A house cat is just a wimpy version of it, right? So Satan, and you, you I don't know if you talked about this last week, but you see this with science today that tries to explain everything or even psychology that will be like well your your desire for religion or for god is you're just trying to fulfill like a uh, father a perfect father figure or all these they've got all sorts of twisted ways to try to say oh that's not a god thing that's something that just came from man they're trying to reverse it okay and it works, right? You know, I'm sure you all know somebody who does not believe in God, who is an atheist. Um, so, then they, they finally do defeat the witch. How do they get out of their um, confused state? Oglum reaches in, in the book, he stomps off the fire. Yes. Right. He sacrificed his hand. Um, I mean, in the story, yes, he does. But representatively, in the spiritual sense, that sometimes the only thing that can wake you up from doing the wrong thing, following, just on a bad path, is pain. Right? 
No, no. Yeah. 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 Right? When sometimes you keep doing the thing that you shouldn't do until finally it hurts enough that you say, I got to stop doing this. I'm, I'm ruining my life or I'm killing myself with this addiction or whatever it might be. I got to, I got to stop. I got to reverse direction on this. Okay. So then they kill the witch, right? She becomes a serpent, shows her the true, her true form and they kill her. And now, um, we see that they still face another challenge. That all, every, all their woes are not over. What is that challenge? It's not complicated. It's very simple. Get out. Get out, right? They're still in the underworld. They have to find a way out. And it's dark. They don't know where they are. They had to take like boats to get to where they are. They're unfamiliar with where with this place. Now, I'm gonna ask you what is the underworld? What does that represent on a spiritual? same right and if we're talking about the allegory it's, of it it's our world like our world like spiritually our world because um you know if they have the work instead of just doing stuff do stuff you know they're oh. always busy but they're not they have no goal and like satan rules our world right satan does rule our world does he really Yes, God allowed him to, okay? And the same thing with the underworld, right? Why does the name of Aslan work in the underworld? Because God rules everything. Yeah, Aslan's really in charge of anything. He created the whole world as those of you who read The Magician's Nephew first, right? You know that, okay? Now, um, if, if, and I would... It's true, our world, but I want to take it to another step because are there places, do you think, in our world, places and in certain times, certain places where Satan does not have power? Okay. Well, give me an example. Why did you, why'd you say yes? C.S. Lewis wrote another book called letters yes it talks about how after he came died and it came back from being sinful satan wasn't able to thwart him very much anymore because he was under god's protection okay good do you think that shelby is under god's protection the church sorry Okay. Right. Which made more for people to come. Good. Okay. So 
if that's the case, then underworld is our world, but more specifically, what is it? If Satan is ruling it. Because you just said a place where Satan doesn't have power essentially is where God is, right? So, in that case, the underworld, if the witch is in charge of it and has power there and was in total control of it, who's not there? Okay. Now, I, I know, right? God is everywhere, right? Okay? This is the part that's tough, but the underworld is a godless place. Right. And there's time, places in the Bible where God's, he physically, his presence left. When the temple after, um, this is in, um, Zechariah's time when he was a prophet Zechariah has a vision where he watches physically he sees a physical representation of God leaving the temple because they were so evil and were doing such terrible things that they were not supposed to be doing in the temple that God left the temple since he watched God leave from it okay because they didn't want godless there. It became a godless place. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Because there was only there was only one or two people there that believed in God. There were so few people. So the underworld here is a godless place. Um, I've been, and that doesn't mean that God can't interact there. That He can't have a presence there, but the in general, that's a place that's under Satan's control that God has allowed to happen. I've been in classrooms controlled by an atheist. Like, literally, the professor's very blatant about it that he did not believe in God. Talk about it, you know, kind of belittle people who did, right? That would be a place where he set it up as a godless place, right? He, mockingly, in that sense. I've even been at weddings before that I would say that they put on an air of godlessness. God wasn't mentioned in the ceremony at all, wasn't in a church, not that you have to have your wedding in a church, but instead they talked about the stars and the universe and fate and that they'd be together forever even after they were dead in the stars and you know mystical stuff like that right and there's an absence of god by choice sometimes in things like that and that's not to say everybody that was there that i knew there are a few other christians there but they were all good and nice people Nothing wrong with them. They're not some evil people. But they are people that are, at the very best case, are lost. Okay, And 
another way that we say that if somebody's lost is that they're in the dark. They're in the darkness and in the underworld, the whole thing that we see, the whole time a theme of it is that it's dark. Even the lights that are there are just these glow, like green glowing lights, they're not that bright. Now, the underworld has just, has had a change in the story. What happened that was triggered by the witch dying? Things started to fall down, right? Satan essentially is stripped of his power, right? No longer has the power in there. And... <clears throat> um, Things start to fall apart. Rocks are falling, caving in, or earthquakes. What else is happening that you notice? Um, all the people there are waking up. Yeah. Yes, so they start behaving oddly, right? That's At least that's what they notice at first until we find out more. Um, So we start to see some change in what they call the Earthmen. Because when they find out, they find out that she's dead from Prince Rillian, right? He says, I killed her by my own hand. And what is their response? Do you remember in the movie? Is it good or bad? It's good. They're happy, right? They say, good. We don't want to be under her control anymore at all. And instead, um, but what, this is, this is a little bit more thinking about it. It's not as obvious, but they are really, they don't have an interest in Aslan or the overworld. Instead, um, and this isn't in the book, but they instead choose to do what? Or, I'm sorry, it's not in the movie, it's in the book. They kind of show it in the movie, but it's not a good representation. Go back to their own world. Yeah, and where is that? Do you remember? Down even deeper. It's down deeper, right? And what do they say is down there, do you remember? Light. What? Light. Um, yeah, it is lighter. It's like glowing red down there. But they say that there are gems and gold that's alive, that's growing. And if you could feel it and touch it, you would be filled with joy. Or They, they describe it as a good thing. And in, in and of itself, it's probably not bad. And this is, I would say, my guess is that C.S. Lewis sometimes writes things that are definitely supposed to be a parallel to spiritual things. There's other times where he writes things where it's just makes an interesting story. It's fun. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't still draw things out of there and have them relate. And it's interesting that all these Earthmen don't have any interest in Aslan, any desire. And yet, and they're still happy to live there in the dark, under the earth, 
away from the light. Um, and the four Narnians here have saved them, right? They came from another place. They, they believe in Aslan. They, do, they kill the witch in the name of Aslan. But these Earthmen are indifferent to that. They're happy about it. They're glad that they're gone. But now we're ready to just go on about our lives. And many times through history, you can see similar events that are also changed by the influence of Christians. But the world wants to ignore that aspect of it. You guys all know about Martin Luther? Not King, but the original Martin Luther. 95. He tried to fix the Catholic Church, right? Which ended up um, out of his, what he did and what he wrote that the Lutheran Church started. Which you may have seen, there's one in Medina, um, I don't know if there's one in Albion, but usually most major areas, at least in every county, has a Lutheran church. And really the Catholic church had said, if you want to go to heaven, you have to pay us money. Essentially is what it boiled down to. You bought these things called indulgences to pay for your sins. And Martin Luther was like, well, that's not at all what the Bible says. And then he just found out more and more things that they were hiding from people. And really what he did, and then along with many other people like John Wycliffe and um, Tyndale, and then have you heard of the Gutenberg Press? It's the first way to mass produce writing. Before everybody, if you wanted a book, it had to be hand copied. Imagine how long that would take. And in that turn, only wealthy people could afford to have books hand copied. So by having this printing press, then you could make hundreds of books at more affordable cost. Do you know the first book ever printed? It was the Bible in German. It was printed by Gutenberg. And, and then there's many other people. I mean, even you think uh, they don't like to talk about this, but Galileo, Copernicus, these famous scientists were Christians as well. And they were even persecuted for their scientific ideas by the church. Yet they were Christians who, who came up with this. And now today you will see people that want to ignore the fact that all the whole education system has really been founded by Christians. We did a whole, some of you might not have been here, but we did a whole thing where we looked at the founding of our country, where Christians had a huge part in that. Every, every Ivy League school, except for Cornell, was founded as a, um, looking for the right word, but uh, a place for ministers to study and pastors to come and get degrees. That was their primary purpose. And yet people want to ignore that fact. Just like the Earthmen are uninterested in the fact that of knowing about Aslan. Think of um, Daniel in the Bible. 
What, what's the story of Daniel? What's his career like? He got stolen. Yep. By King Nebuchadnezzar. So he's a slave, right, essentially. And then he didn't bow down to his dad. No, that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were his friends, though. No, I knew that. I just can't remember what Daniel did. He was just his whole life. He was just like a, they said, a super smart guy. So he's intelligent. Okay. That's why they took him. Yes, he was. Like he was like. But where does his real intelligence and really wisdom comes from God, right? I mean, he does, and really, he does convert King Nebuchadnezzar. He has all tons of faults and things, but there are quite a few times where he admits that God is the real God. But are the Babylonians really interested in that, despite that's where all his wisdom... No, in fact, they try to kill him for that many times. So... That's just a little picture in this is that the world, when it is, it's a godless place, even when then this satanic ruler is removed, they're just still uninterested, still not interested in the light and what is going on. Um, so let's continue on and see what else is going on in the underworld. I'm going to read to you. Just a short section here out of it. This is right when they come out of the prince's, like the house that he's staying in there after they've killed the witch. Look, look, said the prince. The ship is already far this side of the harbor. It is in the street. Look, all the ships are driving into the city. By my head, the sea is rising. The flood is upon us. Aslan be praised. This castle stands on high ground. But the water comes on grimly fast. Oh, what can be happening, said Jill. Fire and water and all those people dodging about in the streets. I tell you what it is, said Puddleglum. The witch has laid a train of magic spells, so then whenever she was killed, at the same moment her whole kingdom would fall to pieces. She's the sort that wouldn't so much mind dying herself if she knew that a chap, that the chap who killed her was going to be burned or buried or drowned five minutes later. Has hit it, friend Wiggle, said the prince. When our swords hacked off the witch's head, that stroke ended all her magic works, and now the deep lands are falling to pieces. We are looking at the end of the underworld. That's it, sir, said Puddleglum, unless it should happen to be the end of the whole world. But we are just going but are we just going to stay here and wait? gasped Jill. Not by my counsel, said the prince. I would save my horse, coal black and the witch's snowflake, a noble beast and a worthy of a better mistress. Both are stabled in the courtyard. After that, let us make shift to get out to high ground and pray that we shall find an outlet. The horses can carry two each at need, and if we put them to it, they may outstrip the flood. Will your highness not put on armor? asked Puddleglum. I do not like the look of those, he pointed down to the street. Everyone looked down. Dozens of creatures, now that they were close, were obviously, they obviously were earthmen were coming up in the direction of the, from the direction of the harbor, but they were not moving like an aimless crowd. 
They behaved like modern soldiers in an attack, making rushes and taking cover, anxious not to be seen from the castle windows. I daren't see the inside of that armor again, said the prince. I rode it as a movable dungeon. Mo I rode in it as a movable dungeon, and it stinks of magic and slavery, but I will take the shield. He left the room and turned with a strange light in his eyes a moment later. Look, friends, he said, holding out the shield towards them. An hour ago, it was black and without device. And now, this, the shield had turned bright as silver, and on it, redder than blood or cherries, was the figure of a lion. Doubtless, said the prince, this signifies that Aslan will be our good lord, whether he means us to live or die, and all's for that. Now, by my counsel, we shall all kneel and kiss his likeness, and then we shall shake hands with one another. So as true friends that may shortly be parted. And then let us descend into the city and take out the adventure as it, as it is sent us. And they all did as the prince had said, but when Scrub shook hands with Jill, he said, So long, Jill. Sorry to have been a funk and so ratty. I hope you get home safe. And Jill said, So long, Eustace. I'm sorry I've been such a pig. And this was the first time they'd ever used their Christian names because one didn't do it at school. Okay. <clears throat> oh, let me find my spot here. Uh, you guys can turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the New Testament. So the underworld is flooding, and slowly that water is rising. So this is representative of a time approaching. Approaching us in our world. What do you think that it is representative of? The end of the world. The end times as we commonly call it. It will get worse and worse until finally God will put an end to our flawed world. And what he does then is he casts Satan into a pit. So it's interesting, the flooding too is a powerful picture of also, um, you guys ever hear of Jonathan Edwards, the preacher? He, have you ever heard of the sermon, Sinner in the hang, Hands of an Angry God? Okay, well he talks about it that God's wrath is building like a water behind a dam and that eventually God is just going to let the dam loose and his wrath is going to pour out on the earth. So this is like the underworld is building and building. The waters are rising of, that God, of when God's wrath is going to be unleashed. And that's what happens in our end times when it's the end of the world that God's wrath is going to be unleashed on all the sin that is filled in it. Um, so we also... Now, that's just a little side picture there to kind of wrap up the underworld and what it is. But we do have the four uh, of them, Rillian, Puddleglum, Jill, and Eustace, that are all a bright light in that world. And we see that represented here. Um, and before we talk about those representations, let's read verse 13 of Colossians there, the first chapter. Or, let's read 12 and 13. 
giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Okay. So. <clears throat> he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, pulled us out of the power of darkness. And this is what we see when they call on the name of Aslan. And during this, he is giving them strength. And we see that Rillian shield, which was just a dark black shield, no shine to it or anything, then suddenly is transformed and bears the banner of Aslan. So what does that represent for Rillian? A change of heart, right? He's changed who, serves, who he serves, who his master is, right? Before it represented the darkness, which he was bound by and who he willingly chose to serve. Now he serves Aslan. Now Jill and Eustace is another interesting thing. The last part that we read, what, what did they do? Did you notice that they have not done this throughout the entire book when talking to each other? What did they used to call each other? Their last name, right? Okay. And C.S. Lewis makes an interesting remark as the narrator. He said, this is the first time they ever used their what names? Christian. Their Christian names. Okay. Um, there used to be, it used to be more of a thing. This is kind of like an older thing in this. He was, C.S. Lewis was an author, a, uh, not author, a s professor of medieval literature. But it used to be because a lot of people would take on the Catholic face that they would change their name, a Christian name, okay? And so this is him kind of paying homage to that, but he's pointing out a thing that, because you also notice how they're treating each other, that they're being super kind to one another now, right? Because they've gone through these hard things following Aslan, and now... These names are representative of a victory, of doing the right thing. It's really the fruit, a visible fruit of the inward change that has happened to them while they've been in Narnia. That their spirits have grown more, and now you're seeing that. It's a, really, it's a small thing in the book that you could easily just breeze on past and not notice, but it's important. <clears throat> um, so now they have these things that are like a banner they're like a light of shining on the outside of what they are yet the whole world of this underworld around them is ignorant to it they're not paying attention to that and this is how the end times will be we don't have time to read it but in Revelations chapter 11 it talks about two prophets that are going to come. Have you ever heard about that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, we don't know. They're, we have ideas of who they might be. Oh, yeah, and they were going to go and they were going to, like, 
Yes, fire will come out of their mouth. They're going to perform miracles. And, but what will happen to them? What's people's response? Yes, more than that. More than that. They're going to kill them. And the Bible says they're going to kill them. And we think because there's only two people that never died that God took. Elisha and Enoch. Enoch. Yes, so we think it might be them who are going to come back. And then they die, and then God raises them three and a half days later from the dead. And yet people are still not going to listen. Oh, how rude. Well, because they are blind, they're lost, and they are not interested in the light or the truth. Okay, and that's what this underworld is representative of. It's a representative of the world, but even more so the world that have stopped their ears, that don't want to hear what is being said. Um, <clears throat> so then they have, after this, um, they go along and one of the earthmen kind of tells him about all this stuff about this world below that they're all trying to go back to called Bism. And Rillian says, wow, that I would love to go down there and explore it. It sounds so interesting. And if he didn't have the other kids there and Puddleglum, he might have been much more tempted to go. But they say, no, you have, we came to bring you out. That's our mission. You got to come with us. And he says, yeah, you're right. We, I will listen to that wisdom and we will go. So this is a small example that there's strength in friends with good counsel in your life. That, and when, what we call, it's, a, it's not what you might think of just a few friends who are Christians, but really that is just a, a smaller aspect of being the church. The church is any body of Christians gathered together or working together. And it's, Jesus said that the power of the church unified together is so powerful that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So just remember that, that that's the power that you have when you're united together in a goal and supporting one another. So then they have this long journey where they're going through the caves and they start out here where they're in the city. And then they keep going on the journey and traveling up. And slowly it gets to where they're just, they're crawling along. And it's so tight. And they're, they're afraid that they will never get out because it's so black and dark. But then they suddenly see a little bit of a light. And they just keep going towards it. It's just another example of even when things seem so dark and terrible, because that is what the end times will get to be. It'll seem to be worse and worse and worse. But the important thing is to keep your focus on Jesus that is the light, and he will get you through. And that's what Puddleglum keeps saying to them. He says, we're probably going to die, but we're going to follow Aslan to the end. He even says, 
If we die down here, it'll save on funeral expenses. <laughs> but we're going to keep following Aslan. So it's just, just more little pictures of what we need to do. So next week we'll talk about how they finally get out and burst into Narnia and they'll meet Aslan and we'll sum up this whole story. All right, thanks.